Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Hey guys, welcome back to Hashtag Single. I am your host, Jeanette Bonner, and we are almost at the end of 2019, so I have a really special guest and a special episode for you this month. I have with me on the phone um, an author. Her name is Laura Oliver, and she wrote a book called Singles, Take Control of Your Own Financial Journey. Laura, thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. I'm so glad that I could be here to talk to somebody who's actually interested in singles. <laughs> oh, exciting. we are, we are beyond interested. In <laughs> we are your target audience, literally. Yes, you are. <laughs> Um, so this is really fun. Uh, Laura is actually just like a friend of a friend. And um, my friend Jen bought your book and was talking about it on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, hello. That sounds like an incredible read and an incredible person. So Laura and I have actually never met in person, but I feel like we are going to be good friends. Yeah, we're kind of the same person. <laughs> yes, we are. We are so bit. much. Um, so this is a little bit of a, of a departure from our regular episode where we're doing um, kind of an interview style with a single person. Although, Laura, are you single? I am single. Yes, oh, juicy. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll throw in both, depending on how comfortable you are. Um, but usually we talk to um, uh, a strong, independent, successful woman, usually a friend of mine, um, and talk to them about their frustrations in dating and then get some opinions from the male perspective. Um, but I wanted to do something a little more interesting and sculpt some... Um, well, I wanted to highlight people that are talking about uh, being single in a strong way. And that's literally the definition of your book, Laura. So thank you for writing it. No problem. Um, I'm going to read your bio just to make this really a fish. Is that okay? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's the bio from your books, which anyone can read. But if you're just listening in, you're like, who's this girl? Okay. So Laura M. Oliver is a deal-seeking expert, writer, blogger, and public speaker. She founded frugalchick.com as a way to help people find deals on their everyday expenses during the recession. In her 10 years to follow, she has spoken at over 2,000 churches, community centers, and private functions about using coupons and saving money. She has been featured on Fox News, WallStreetJournal.com, MainStreet.com, and in the Virginian Pilot and the Daily Press. Oliver lives in Chesapeake, Virginia with her super loving and annoying cat, Bella. So charming. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you would think so. <laughs> talk to me more about why and how you started a frugal chick website. So the why is actually kind of funny. So I am single and have, I've never been married. I don't have any kids. And, um, I had a point about 10 years ago where I was like, all right, I guess I need to do something. Like just having a job is not quite enough. People don't seem satisfied with me just having a career and owning a home. And How doing dare they? So, yeah. So I'm going to go back to grad school because that's kind of the, that's the thing that you do. You go to school. So I went to get my master's degree and talked to my boss at the company that I was working at to see if they would reimburse me for all or a portion of my education. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that they would. Um, I worked for a disaster restoration company. So they went in after hurricanes and things that cleaned oh, wow. up. And we had just finished Katrina. So we were rolling in money. 
there was money everywhere because of the huge damage down in New Orleans sure. and the other parts of the country. So he's like, yep, no problem. We'll reimburse you for a portion of your classes. No big deal. So I take my test to get into school. I get in. I finish my first semester. I take them my transcripts. And he basically says, oh, we were just kidding. We're not going to reimburse you. What? For any of your school. Right. And me being in my, like, you know, mid-20s and having a boss that I really trusted and I really admired had not gotten anything in writing. Like, oh, we had man. had an oral conversation, and it was six months ago, and it was not going to happen. Like, it wasn't happening. So I had to decide, do I drop out of school? You know, I'm in my second semester of four semesters. Yeah. I've done all this work to get in. Do I drop out of school, or do I go ahead and finish it and take out a loan? So I took out a home equity line of credit on my house and cut my bills like every way that I could possibly cut my bills, got rid of mm. my cable, got rid of my gym membership, quit using my air conditioning. Mm-hmm. I used everything that I could to try to pay as much cash as I could for school up front. Using coupons was part of that. Wow. It was just kind of a natural overflow of trying to cut back my expenses as much as I could. So when I was going to the grocery store and I was saving 90% of my groceries, I would get really excited and have nobody to tell because there's not, you know, a spouse at home that's stuck that has to listen to me when I come home with all the stuff. I got you. So I would call my mom. And after about two months of that, she was like, you know, you really should start one of those website things because we don't care. We love you, but we don't care. And somewhere there's going to be somebody who cares. Someone is going to want this information that you have. It is going to be valuable to them. It's just not any of us. (laughs) Oh, my God. So between summer school and my last semester of college, I had three weeks off. And that's when I started the website was just kind of out of boredom between finishing classes and starting my thesis for grad school. That's that's crazy. I know it's an elegant story, right? No, like it's, it was, it's, you know. it's, it's really interesting because it sounded like you just started it like on a lark and then somehow it just became, it's one of those wonderful Hollywood stories. She just started a blog and now all of a sudden she's on the red carpet, you know, like you're so here's actually how that happened. And this is a lesson for anybody in small business anywhere, period. Yeah. Most bloggers last about six months. Blogging is hard. You don't make any money at the beginning. It's very, there's not a lot of payback for you. And it's really hard to get readership too, right? Yes. It's very difficult to do, especially with the way social media is now. It's getting harder and harder to get stuff out there because the world is noisy. 10 years ago, it wasn't as noisy. It's really noisy now. So we were right. I was right at six months and I was right ready to throw in the towel because it just wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, and I had just yeah. finished writing my thesis and all this stuff was going on. We're in the hospital. My sister's getting ready to have my first nephew. We're in the hospital and I get an email from a local TV station that is trying to increase their female viewership. And in order to do that, they want a coupon blogger. Oh my God. To come on the news on Sunday morning and talk about the best deals of the week. Well, I had to write them back and tell them no. Because it was like Thursday, there still wasn't a baby yet. We didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't feel like I could be ready on Sunday morning. So I wrote them back and told them no, but if they could wait a week, I would be thrilled to come in the week after that and do it. So they agreed. They had never seen me. They had never met me. They didn't know anything about me. I could have, I don't know, I could have been terrible on television. Like they had no way of knowing that I'm an actress. 
that, you know, I've done all this public speaking and all these things. So I went in two weeks later and started on the local news doing a segment. And in January of this year, it will have been 10 years. <gasps> Congratulations. Yeah, that I've been doing that. So I've been on the local news every Sunday morning for almost 10 years now. You're a celebrity. <laughs> sort of. It's kind of weird. Most of the time it's fine, but I do get stopped out a lot in public. Oh my God, and I love it. Dating, that's really weird. <laughs> You're like so the coupon the lady. The You're literally summer, like, which I know is not what we're supposed to be talking about. No, but I, I know. <laughs> it's so interesting. At the, at the local, um, we went to a local baseball game, and I had told him, like, when we talked about my job, I was like, "People are gonna stop me in public and talk to me. Like, I need you to be ready for that to be a thing. And if they talk to you, I need you to be polite to them, and I need you to, you know." So we're in our seats. And I'm pretending I don't know anything about baseball and he's explaining it all to me because it makes him feel good and whatever. (laughs) And the guy on the other side of me is totally crushing on me because he's been watching me on TV for like the last six years. Oh my God. So I'm on a date with this guy that I've only known a couple weeks, but to my left is this guy who's been watching me for years and just has a million questions and wants to know everything about me. And it was a very interesting baseball game. Oh my God! Please Which tell me you ended them. up going on a date with the with the coupon fan. Basically, yeah, you did so a double date. <gasps> one with a guy who knew nothing really about my job, and then another one who knew way too much information. Wait, what happened about with it. the coupon guy? Um, that was the last time I saw him. I oh. didn't get his number or anything because oh. I wasn't with him. And he, you I know, you. I had a date, but yeah, he was very. So I have a lot of people that stop me out places and talk to me about things. And like I said, some of it's creepy. Most of it's actually very endearing and it's just, you know, oh my gosh, I recognize you or those kind of things. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. But anyway, that's how the website picked picked up Game got, Home Info. Yeah, got a got a readership. So when yeah. when did you decide to create singlesandmoney.com and tailor your content to single people? So that was in officially that was in June of this year. I've oh, had okay. people asking me for years to write a book. And the reason that I did not do it is because I didn't feel like I could write a book for my readers. And who would your, if you're gonna your readers of your website? You and mean. you have a following, yeah. you're supposed to write a book for your following. Sure. That's the point, because then you have people to sell the book to. Right. Once you write it. I can't tell somebody how to have a conversation with their spouse about budgeting. True. I can't tell somebody how to prioritize their kids' balance. Right, 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 right. Over other things. I can't do that stuff. So for years, I just said, I'm not going to write a book because all I would ever want to write a book about is finances. And I can't help somebody who's married. It's like another level. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're so right. It's not a skill set that I have. And so um, as I was kind of reevaluating this year and sort of looking at, you know, what have you done with the first six months of the year? I talked to a bunch of friends and they're like, it's time to write the book. I'm like, I can't write the book. I don't. I can't. I'm not capable of doing it. They're like, then write the book that you want to write and figure out how to sell it later. Mm, Good advice. Yeah. But as I kept talking to my single friends, they were not doing well financially. A lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not surprised. And it's not that they don't make good money. A lot of them make good money. Although I do really feel bad as I talk to, you know, I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer. As I have conversations with millennials, their situation is vastly different from the way that mine was. How so? Um, at least where I live, housing. Oh, is true. Okay. A big thing. Yeah. So when I was 21, I bought my first place. What? And it was a one no, bedroom. you didn't. 
I know it's ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, well, here was the thing. It was a one bedroom, 800 square foot condo in a, in a good part of town. And it was $65,000. Okay. That's, so my mortgage really until I moved yeah. a year ago Accessible. was like $490 yeah. or something insane like that. Yeah. Now you would die if you lived somewhere where I live and you only paid $65,000 for right. it. Like it wouldn't have air conditioning. It might be missing a wall. Yeah. I mean, they it's not a purchase don't make price. housing that cheap. Right. True. True. Anymore. Yeah. And so, I mean, I went 18 years living in a house with a $500 mortgage. Oh my God. Of course I had advantages that they didn't right. have right. just by keeping housing costs so right. much That's lower. So true. Cars were cheaper. So, but, um, you know, I've made decisions and made sacrifices and things that in their minds are not sacrifices that they would make. Well, that's, sense, that's something really interesting. Older models of things yeah. and that kind of stuff. I was talking, I was actually having that conversation with someone recently because um, I'm a tour guide in New York. That's my day job. And um, I was talking about how artists were living in Soho in the 70s in like abandoned warehouses. But yeah. the aesthetic when you were an artist in the 70s was to suffer a little and like be in a big empty concrete space that didn't have a working bathtub. Whereas the artists today who are looking to move to like Williamsburg are living in these very posh, um, hip, like high standard apartments by my standards and not really like into the idea of suffering as an artist, right. if that makes sense. Well, humans aren't, we're not into that anymore. Yeah, the I guess you're right. Sacrifice yeah. Or not, not having, um, immediate gratification. No, we're in the me the era. Boring. We're in the, I deserve this era. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so that I think is a big part of the issue is what do you mean? Get rid of my cable. Yeah. What do you mean? Not eating out. What do you mean? Those kind of things. I'm a busy person. I should be able to eat. I out deserve these things. Yeah, the absolutely. Um, and until people really sit down and get a look at where their money is going and then, and this is why it's in the book so much sooner than a lot of other things when I wrote it was, what do you want to do? Yeah. Like if you don't have a goal, you're never going to save money. Right. It's just not going to be a thing. You've got to have something to look forward to that you're working towards. I want to go to Europe and I don't want to go into debt to do it. Yeah. Great. Now you're going to prioritize. Now you're going to brown bag your lunch because one day you're going to be eating a croissant under the Eiffel Tower because you brown bagged your lunch. Right. As opposed to some like theoretical idea of financial right. freedom or retirement. You know, having yes. something in the near future, such as I don't want to have a roommate anymore or I want to go to Paris next right. year. Absolutely. You can yep. make that an actuality. Well, when I originally wrote the book and I set up that chapter on goals, I had done them as a five-year projection. Right. And I met with some friends of mine that are in their early 30s. And both of them were like, um, we can't think that far. <laughs> 12 months. Yeah, yeah. You need to do 12 months. Five years is too far. I'm like, okay, I realize I'm a decade older than you guys. But no, yeah, but at the same 12 time, months is good. I think it's hard to change your life in a year. Like I find that hard. So right. I found the thinking in five years theoretical easier because you're like in some future version of my life in five years, I would like to have a, a nicely new renovated bathroom as opposed to like right. you asked me where I'm going to be December of 2020. 
I would I would like to I don't know I feel like I'm going to be in the same place that I am right now you know what I mean like except just a year older so um, for me the long distance dreaming felt easier because you're like name something crazy five years I want to you know like I said have a brand new bathroom as opposed to next year where I'm like I don't know maybe I I need a new raincoat I guess you know (laughs) yeah they wanted baby steps I hear that. Um, I hear sure. that. I mean, everybody, it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. Um, so let's start this off with a quote from uh, the book, which I, I, I think this really encapsulates like what I talk about on my podcast and what you're striving towards as well. Um, this is this is your quote. One friend told me, I don't want to drive a BMW. I just want to be able to afford a decent house and put a little bit in savings each month while working only one job and not have to depend on a man. Is that so yep. crazy? And I was just like, yes, snaps all around. The intention being on the part where you say and not have to depend on a man. And I love the finish of that. Is that so crazy? And it's like, what? It shouldn't be. The answer is no. No, it shouldn't be. And as a matter of fact, she just bought her own house about three weeks ago. I'm going to see it. By herself? Like without being in a relationship? Good for her. Yep. Yeah. But in order to do that, and this goes right back to what we were talking about. So she's um, 30. I might age her up a little bit. She's 35, I think, 34. If mm-hmm. she listens to this, I might get an angry phone call and she tells me she's 32. Oh, um, she's in her she early 30s. <laughs> she was living on her own and has been for over a decade and wanted to buy a house and looked at her situation and said, you know what? I can take eight months and put my stuff in storage and move back in with my parents and bank that money so that I can buy a house. Yeah. And so she's made herself uncomfortable. Like, obviously, at that age, living with your parents is not the same as living on your own. Right. But she made it a priority and did the things that she needed to do so that she had a good down payment and then plenty of money to go into that house and redo all the things that she wanted to get done and buy the furniture she wanted and do those kind of things. So she was uncomfortable for a little while for her long-term growth. I think that's incredible. Like, kudos to her. Just be able to... A, like you said, sacrifice something for the greater good, but be able to name what she wants in the future, which we already said is also hard to do for a lot of people, including artists. But um, I love that that vision never at any point had her relying on a second person, whether that be a man that she's dating or a parent or a roommate or what have you. It's just being self-reliant. How can I solve the problem on my own? Yep. She took action and did what she needed to do and it has paid off for her. Yeah. So she's got an adorable little 102 year old house or whatever. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> she's like, well, that's going to be a challenge in the future, but you know, she's got it. It's hers. I bought a house that's nine years old and I did it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? Everything in here just needs to stay the way that it is. Needs a paint I don't want to do anything. <laughs> that's about yeah. it. So you wrote in the book, you wrote that you wrote this book for three people. So I'm just going to list them. Uh, the first, maybe you're in your 40s and you figured you'd be married by now and then you would be able to get ahead financially. The second, maybe you are past your 40s, now closer to re- retirement than when you were in your 20s and everything was devastated by divorce. And three, uh, or the third type, maybe you just waited too long to get started towards financial stability and you feel like you can't catch up. And now you feel like you're going to be working well past when you wanted and have no one to share that burden with. So for the purpose of having you on hashtag single, let's, I want to focus on the third person. 
um, in the chapter that these quotes are from, you use this phrase, what is your current journey? And I feel like that question really encompasses what we talk about on Hashtag Single and who we're talking to. Because for the most part, the guests on the podcast have not been women who have waited for a spouse to get ahead financially, nor have they been surprised by an unexpected divorce, which you know is a different financial situation altogether. But in general, have been women who are at a crossroads where we, and I include myself in this, are coming to terms with our current state, not as a state of flux or between, you know, like I'm, I'm dating, but I'm not aspiring to be in a different state than I am. I just, I just am. It just is. And how do we emotionally as well as financially accept that we ourselves are the only person to depend on, right? Which is, I just think that's like a, a beautiful message to just... I am single. I am here. What are my resources? How can I do this without needing someone else? Because um, as you say in your book, I love this, that spouse may never come or you may discover you don't actually want one as more and more people are choosing to not have partners. Yeah. I mean, like, that's revolutionary. We talk about that all the time. Like, the assumption is that I, this has been said to me multiple times. If you've listened to the podcast, you've heard it, me say it, but people will always say when they find out I'm single, oh, don't worry, you'll find someone soon, as if, uh-huh. as if it needs to be solved, as if I'm like in a state of in-between, right? Um, but what if it, what if this is what my life is and isn't that just okay as it is, you know? But I'm just curious what how, how you would tailor your advice or what you would want to share with this particular demographic of women and how is that different than offering financial advice to anyone else who may be struggling financially. Sorry if that's a complex question. That quote, that little fictional person in my book is actually because of my best friend who happens to be a guy. Oh, And we were talking about the book, which he probably won't read, um, honestly. And he told me that his retirement plan is death. Cool. Like he just doesn't (laughs) feel like there's any way he can ever get ahead on one income. Okay. And, you know, it's just trying to keep your head above water. And the only way he's ever going to be not working is basically when he drops dead because there's not going to be any way for him to get ahead. I think most of America feels that way, to be honest. Like they absolutely people are drowning Um, in debt. They say millennials really Mm. feel that way from talking to them Um, as an um, actress. As you know, you end up working with a lot of people that are not like you, which is one of the great things about doing what we do. Yeah. So you get a lot of sitting around while other people are doing productive things and then you just talk. So you end up next to a 22 year old from some other part of the country that you've never met and you get their perspective on stuff. And once they find out what I do for a living, they talk to me about money. Mm. So money's kind of the third rail of conversations. Most people don't like to talk about it, but totally. they love talking about it around me. So I end up talking to people. <laughs> well, about Cause it you have the, the answers. Well, it's, it's kind of like, um, and I think I said this in the book, Nobody wants to talk to me about their finances, but because they know mine are secure, they want to talk to me about what I'm doing. They just don't want me to know what they're doing because they think I'm going to, you know, judge them or that type of thing. Right. Um, But here's the thing that to me actually gives singles a leg up a lot of the time with finances is we can make the hard choices by ourselves. Yeah. We can decide to make the sacrifices that other people couldn't. My friend would have had a really difficult time moving back in with her parents if she had kids. Sure. Or a spouse. Yeah. Or other things that she had to deal with that. We can choose to live in smaller housing. 
We can choose to move somewhere else and take a different job. We can choose to prioritize spending money into our retirement fund over other things. Yeah. We can make those decisions and there's no having to sit down at a table and be like, honey, I really need you to spend less money on video games this month. That's so true. Or I really need you to stop going to Starbucks five days a week Mm. or, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, And I mentioned a spouse, but I mean, kids are even crazier. I love my nephews and niece, but oh my gosh, are they expensive? (laughs) Yes. So So I've heard. (laughs) They eat a lot. (laughs) Yes, they eat a lot. And then like my sister always at the end of the school year, teachers gifts and end of the year parties and summer camps and deposits for stuff. And it's just hemorrhaging money for this stuff for the kids. And I, I know some single people do have kids. And so it's a little bit different for them, but I mean, I complain sometimes about what I have to spend on the cat. Right. <laughs> I, you know, the money that it takes for kids to be able to do stuff. So for us to be lucky enough, I realize that it's a stress, but it's also a gift to That's be so in nice. control of our own finances. And it's so nice to hear you just say that out loud and to like receive it on this other end, I guess. That I oh, absolutely. thought of it yeah. framed in that way before. That yeah, it's... it is such a gift to be in control of my time. Yeah. To be in control of my finances, to be in control of my living environment. I'm in my busy season right now with my job. And I also um, sing with a four-part acapella Dickens caroling group. So at Christmas, my life is insane. (laughs) Right. It is absolutely nuts. If you come into my house, right, like literally downstairs, there's, you can like see where I come out of my costume when I come in the front door. So there's like, there's like a, a traveling hat and then there's a skirt and then there's a crinoline and then there's a shirt and then there's my shoes and they're all just downstairs and they all just stay there until I go out caroling tomorrow. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't put them away or do anything else with them. I just go downstairs and step back into all of them and then leave to go out the door. They double and as I do Christmas that because decor. Nobody lives with me. Yes, right, exactly. But I think like you you touched on this really interesting aspect which is just control, right? I think mm-hmm. uh, this theme has come up before when talking to other people for our episodes is like um obviously you're not in New York City, but um we talk a lot about the specifics around dating in New York and why it makes it really hard to date here. And it's um, something that we've kind of come up with is that everyone comes, everyone moves to New York for a purpose. You know, right. you, don't, you don't just sort of accidentally end up here because it's expensive and it's a tough city to live in. So if you've moved here for something, what we were, I was we were referring to as like the number one in your heart, um, you're less likely to relinquish the control of your life and your time and your space and your money in order to serve that goal. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. like it's we we live here and we are single because we can control this journey and being able to control our finances I think is part of that that whole complex navigation, I guess. Women down here have kind of the same thing because we have the largest navy base in the world. Mm. And so if you, like right now, I have an established business. I'm plugged into the local media. My family is here. I'm plugged into the newspapers and other stuff. If a guy pops up on a dating website that's got 10 years left in the Navy, and I know they're going to move three times, that's a big pause button. Wow. Yeah. Because I'm going to have to give up everything that I have built, both as an actress and as a small business owner to pick up and move to wherever the government says I have to go. Right. Right. And um, that's like, and I'm not willing. No, I'm with you. I'm hundred like percent. I wouldn't be that. willing to sacrifice what I've built here either. 
Um, so there's a, there's a lot built around that ownership of your life, which includes mm -hmm. ownership of your finances as scary as they may be, but at least they're yours. I love that you, you wrote this, um, in the book as singles, we face the unique situation that we can keep our money problems and victories to ourselves. No one has to know if we're running up credit card debt or living way above our means. No one has to know if we have six months of bills in our savings account, good or bad. We keep that information close to our chest. So that's like another aspect of it is just sort of like, this is, this is mine. It, it may be a problem, but it's my problem. Right. Which that part of it, I'm not crazy about. Oh, no. I do wish that people <laughs> would be more open about their money when they talk to each other. Um, it's one of those things when you, when you listen to anybody who helps anyone with anything. So today I was listening to um, a podcast about trying to keep your health while you're a small business owner. Mm. and she brought it up again. I've heard this quote many times. Anyone who has been where you are and is ahead of you, so they have gone through the steps that you're going through and come out on the other side victorious or has moved on to the next thing, is never going to judge you or discourage you where you are. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes to me and they're in their mid-20s and they're like, I've screwed up, I have some credit card debt, I've done some stuff, and I really want to get out of it, what advice can you give me? I am never, ever going to put that person down because I've been 25 right. with credit card debt and I worked and I got out of it. I, if I, somebody's not being supportive, it's because they're probably failing in the same area. Right. I hear what you're saying. It's like, I, I think there's a lot of, um, this is a very parallel idea, but there's a lot of, um, in our culture, shame built around the talk of money and especially debt. And there's a lot of shame of talking about being single for whatever reason. And these very kind of Puritan ideas of like, we don't talk about salary. We don't talk about debt. We don't talk about our money right. problems. But on the positive angle of that, I, I just think that quote that you talked about is like, at, as no one needs to know what our financial situ situation is, it just means that you're accountable to your own self, mm -hmm. right? So it's that for sure. Um, uh, and again, this has come up, but recent guests, we've been talking a lot. A lot of my guests have been talking about how as single people, they feel it's their responsibility to always be working on themselves to present their yeah. best self forward. And it's, it's a journey of, especially dating, journey of growth. So, you know, here you are, you don't have a partner who you have to show your finances to at the end of the day. You have to be accountable to yourself. So if it's bad, ain't no one to blame but you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that is helpful. And I do feel like, I don't know if other singles feel this way, but I feel like I kind of have to represent singles in a lot of ways. Um, I am from a church background and I'm still active in the church. Single at 40, never been married and not having kids. I'm a unicorn. This yeah. is not a thing that happens right. a lot. And I don't want people looking at me being like, wow, she is a hot mess. Right. Obviously, she needs a man because he would fix everything oh, wrong God, with her. That's so smart. She could just get a man. So I do kind of feel the pressure sometimes to make sure that not that I, I really don't do things to make my life look better than it is. It stinks beyond comprehension sometimes. And that's just how life works. Um, and I definitely don't go to bed every night. Oh, gee, I'm so glad I'm single. <laughs> but more often than not, um, I enjoy the freedom that comes with it. And like I said, the ability to kind of control what's going on in my life. But I do wish that singles would reach out to each other more with their struggles and with things that they need help with. 
um, even just to realize that there are more of us than we think that there are. Yes. Yes. That's the, that's the whole reason I started this podcast. And you touch on this in the book, like the idea of community. Like yeah. uh, there's so many of us are single and none of us are talking about it, much like none of us are talking about money. But like, why can't we break that open and just be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing either. Or I had a rough date the other day and I'm not sure or, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to have kids anymore. And is that OK? Like just being yeah, able to be honest about People don't really want to talk about no. the failures of some of that stuff. And the dating thing is so interesting because you feel like you should be able to do it because everybody else did it and got married. And so how difficult how is hard it can it be, right? <laughs> to do, like, but one of my, um, one of my closest friends when it comes to dating is actually a guy that I met online and we got along really well and then met for our first date. And it was awful. It was like one of the worst dates I've ever been on in my life. So we just ended up becoming friends. That's and great. so he's now kind of my, like, what does this guy mean that just messaged me this? Or like, he's like my, my sound off. Oh my God. I love that. Or dating. Um, and I don't think he's ever had anybody kind of be honest with him too. Like he sent me messages before and like, I'm, I'm going to reply with this. What do you think? And I'll write him back and be like, dude, that is so creepy. That doesn't seem creepy to you. Oh my God. You're not a creepy guy. Why does that sound creepy? Let's fix this so that we're doing it better. You're doing but I God's look around work. And I'm like, everybody's married. How have I not figured out how to do this yet? They don't make it look complicated. It seems pretty easy. Um, but it just hasn't, you know, for whatever reasons, it hasn't worked yet. Um, and I, you know, I can only be good at being single. I can't be good at being married until I find somebody I want to marry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so a lot of the advice, uh, that you give, I found to be really just good general advice about getting ahead financially, regardless of being coupled or not. But this part really resonated with me. And I brought it up with my um, girlfriend over the weekend. Uh, married people watch movies online, make pizzas with the kids, go for long walks, holding hands and talk about all the things they're going to do with the money they're saving. But when you're single, especially if you are living alone, staying home every Friday night watching Netflix is not going to cut it. So this is really interesting to me because a lot of people say that you actually spend more money when you're coupled up um, and going on dates because you're out having dinner and you're going to the movies and you're trying to come up with activities to do together. Whereas if I'm single and I'm trying to save money that weekend, I'm just going to sit at home and watch Saturday Night Live. Um, the thing is that there, there's a psychological component that goes to it. And that sentence right there is actually one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Because I've read Dave Ramsey's books and I've read some of the other ones, which have great, great, solid financial advice in them. There's nothing wrong with those books. But my single friends are like, this does not apply to me. Mm. Because the very first thing that they say to do is to cut all extemporaneous spending at all. Well, if I stay home Friday and Saturday night and don't go out and see my friends, there's consequences. Right. For that kind of isolation that have nothing to do with finances right. at all. Um, and so we need to be doing things. And that's another reason that talking about finances can be so important. The guy that I went to the ballgame with this summer um, had lost his job right when we started dating. So we filled the summer with free concerts and picnics and going that's out awesome. for walks. Yeah. And doing other things like that that didn't cost money, but we still weren't just sitting at home watching another episode of Jack Ryan. Right. We were actually out doing things with each other and then just trying to be economical about it. It's just not, and especially in places like New York City where you can't have a dinner party for eight people in your apartment most of the time. Right, because exactly. Because they would be sitting on the countertops. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to go out and you have to do things 
in order to be able to have any kind of social life. And I just think the idea of spending two years of your life getting DVDs at the library and staying home on Friday night is just not doable for singles, especially if the goal for that single is to end up in a couple of some sort. No, I think it's smart that you write that you should have a dates budget line item. Like, I think that's really realistic. But I have to ask you, (laughs) I have to ask you this question. You knew this was going to come up. What is your stance on who pays for the dates? And what about women who date for free drinks? Because I can tell you, I know at least one person who does that. She believes that men should pay for the date and she dated knowing she could get a free dinner. And I've had guy friends that have been gone out with women multiple times who are not interested and paid for everything. So where are you at with that? So I actually find dating and finances really fascinating. And I almost wish that I dated more just so I could kind of play around with this Mm. a little bit. Um, Because because of my job, it just ends up coming up a lot. And so when I talk to guys and I'm like, well, how long do you wait after you start dating with somebody to talk about money? And they're like, well, like when we're talking about moving in together, like really? (laughs) If that That's ever happens, the first time you have a conversation about money, what if she's got like $200,000 in credit card debt? Yeah. And like, these are big, like marriages end over finances easily. Yeah. Marriages end over finances. So you're not having this conversation until you're either talking about getting married or moving in together or having kids. Like this is a big thing, but nobody will talk about That's it. So it's true. the third rail of relationships and nobody wants to deal um, with it. As far as like picking up the check on dates and stuff, um, I mean, it's, I think I've always been out with guys that have just grabbed it on the first date. Yeah. But I think usually by the second or third date, because we're out doing things, I've been like, hey, I'm going to go to ballpark and get those tickets. Or I'll buy the movie tickets online before we go in. And it's just not a thing. It's okay. just kind of an organic flow of stuff. Do I have friends who date so that they can go to nice restaurants and eat nice food and drink good things? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I have several friends who I'm do that. I'm telling you. Um, and they kind of feel like they're being taken care of to be pretty and amusing conversation. I've heard that as well. Yeah. Um, so it is not a thing I do because I'm not that amusing conversation. But <laughs> they seem to do really well with it. But they also end up spending a lot of their time talking to duds. So and would doing you things that they don't really enjoy doing? That's and I'm so not true. To You're going to pay for it in time. some way. But would you recommend, like, if you were advising a guy, would you? This is this is a little controversial, but would you advise a guy if if they were if you were helping them make a budget for a date line item to have a larger date budget line item than a woman because of that? Um, I honestly probably would. Okay, but it would be probably because of the guy's ego. It would not actually be for any kind of other reason than that. It would just be that the guy would feel like they wanted to show off. I'm just saying of my guy friends. Yeah. Like I would feel like they would want to show off. And a lot of my guy friends are gay as well. So you would be talking about them going out on a date with another guy. Yeah. It would still be kind of an ego. So you're saying the guy pays for the date in order to impress the other person. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it would be. And so therefore because they should have a bigger budget. these are things that we watch. Like the guy that I went out with this summer, our first date, I paid for show tickets. He paid for dinner. And you can be 100% sure that I looked down to see how much that guy tipped our waiter oh. when we were in the restaurant. Because we sat at that table for four hours and talked. 
Yeah. And closed that restaurant out. Yeah. And I, hate- I looked down at that bill because to me, that is a picture of character. That's so true. I hate that it's a thing, but it like, it's totally, it's totally a thing. Yep. And so there is something to it. And then of course I've worked really hard for my money and this is going to sound like a total girl power thing, but I have worked hard for my money. I'm not getting married to somebody and then watching them blow it. It's not a thing I'm doing. Yeah. So I've got to be with somebody that's financially responsible. Yeah. Especially at a certain age, like you're looking for a different value set than you are when you're in mm-hmm. your twenties. Well, and I run my own business. So we're talking about hustle, right. a lot of hustle. Right. And if he's going to be downstairs playing video games and drinking beer while I'm upstairs working all the time, that's not a thing. <laughs> I hear you. Oh God, I love you so much. I want to <laughs> high five you. I wish you were in the room. Oh, <laughs> I hear you girl. Um, Laura, it has been such an incredible time talking to you. I do totally feel like we are of the same brain, but if you're friends with Jen, it makes a lot of sense because I admire her and both of you, um, just for, for the epitome of, or quintessence of strong female independence, like truly, truly blessed to have you on this podcast. So thank you. I'm so glad I could be here. It was great talking to you. Um, and everybody, please go out and buy this incredible book. It just was released in October. So um, it's brand new, all sorts of updated references in there for you and some really uh, uh, incredible resources. If you're wherever you're at in your financial journey, highly recommended. Um, we'll put a link to the book uh, in the podcast description for any of you guys that want a direct link. Laura, I hope we get to meet someday. (laughs) But uh, thanks again for being here. And uh, we will catch you next time on Hashtag Single. Bye, guys.